Welcome to the Journey Church Podcast, where as a church, we believe that Jesus should be accessible to anyone. So if you're at home, work, or somewhere in between, you can have access to the weekend worship experience. We'd love for you to stay connected with us by visiting us at journeyorl.com or any social media platform using at journeyorl. Thanks for being with us, and we really hope you enjoy this message. Well, I know I did this already, but make some noise if you're excited to be in the house of God today. Amen. Well, I'm excited for you. I'm excited for you. Um, I know that uh, we already welcomed first-time guests, but we're big on that. And so if you're looking for a home church and somehow you found us uh, on Instagram or, or the internet or a friend invited you, we just want to welcome you and uh, one more time and say, if you're looking for a home church, look no further. You found it. Journey Church, we did this already, but would you help me one more time in welcoming them? Yeah. If it's your first time, you have no idea who I am. My name is JJ. And uh, alongside my wife, Liz, we have the honor and privilege of serving Journey Church as its pastors. And uh, you came at a great time because we are in week two of a sermon series we are calling Prayer Goats. Prayer Goats. Somebody told me on social media, they're like, I'm not going. That sounds like idolatry. It's not a real goat, y'all. Um, goat is an acronym and it stands for greatest of all time. And we are studying the greatest prayers of all time. And I want to get to that. But before I do, uh, I just want to kind of hit some things that we already talked about in journey news, but I think it's important. Uh, first, we want to remind you that we are in the middle of 21 days of prayer and God is moving in our midst. And uh, every Wednesday, you are invited to Rollins College where we have a prayer service happening every Wednesday night at seven o'clock. Uh, you want to get there. This past Wednesday was packed and God's presence was so palpable. And, uh, and this Wednesday, we'll be praying for miracles, signs, wonders, healing. So if you're sick and anybody who's sick or you just want to just get closer to the Lord, I really want to encourage you to come. It's one hour. There's really no teaching or preaching. We do maybe five minutes of that. The rest is just worship and prayer. Also, if you're looking to go deeper, we've got these 21 days of prayer booklets absolutely free. You already paid for them through your generosity, tithes, and offerings. So you might as well take it, okay? You already bought it. And um, we don't have many left. Uh, at the first service, we only had about 30. So I don't know how much we have now, um, but feel free to go check at the blue tent. If we have any left, they're yours. Take them. Also, you guys heard about team conference happening August 24th. I want to continue to invite you to that. Yeah, we're super um, excited because we've got uh, great pastors coming in who are going to be teaching us, training us. At Journey Church, we really uh, place an emphasis on leadership development. And so when you're part of our dream team or our volunteers, but we don't call them volunteers, if you're part of our dream team, then uh, come. If you want to get more information about being a part of the dream team or even interested in serving on our team, you are also welcome to come to that conference. It's going to be like from 9 or 10 a.m. to about 3 p.m. So it's like an all-day thing, but it's going to be a lot of fun. You're going to learn a lot. You're going to grow a lot. We're expecting about 200 people there, and so I invite you to come be a part of it. And finally, small group leadership training is happening right after this service, right after this service. And I just want to give it up for all of our small group leaders. Will you help me just honor them, all of our small group leaders? We're so grateful for you. Yeah. Uh, there used to be a time at Journey Church where I just knew everybody's name, okay? Because it wasn't hard to memorize 20. Amen. Um, now we are way beyond uh, my ability to, to, to care for the amount of people that come to church. But that's okay. Um, this was God's plan all along. 
the church had to get bigger because people matter, hell is real, but the church also has to get smaller because you matter and you need somebody who knows your name. And a lot of people tell me, well, you know, I don't wanna come to Journey, it's a big church and I don't wanna get lost. You know, big churches don't make people feel lost. Walking into a place where nobody knows you is what makes you feel lost. So my hope is that you would get connected to a small group. And uh, if you're thinking about leading a small group, I just wanna say, please, we need more small group leaders, we need you. And this is how you know you're a small group leader. You wanna help people. There's something in your heart. We call the small group leaders the shepherds of our church because they're the ones who, uh, who check up on you when you're sick, who check up on you when, uh, when, when you miss a day at church. Hey, I noticed you weren't there. Not to make you feel guilty, but to make sure everything's okay. They're there to pray for you and uh, when your kids wild out and uh, they're just there on your side. And so it's a good, good, good body of believers to, to be around. And so if you're looking for community, you'll be able to join next month. If you're looking to lead that community, we would love for you to consider it. You'll see a ton of signs out there in the lobby. Well, are you ready to get into the word of God today? Good, because I am ready to preach. Um, I really enjoyed this sermon series. It was my idea. And I'm not bragging. I'm just saying, sometimes I take other sermon series ideas from other pastors and churches because they're good. But this one was mine. And, um, and, I, and the reason why I, I thought about it is because, um, A, obviously we're in 21 days of prayer. But B, I consider myself a student of goats. Again, not the animal, okay? I consider myself, oh, does anybody ever tried that goat yoga thing? Liz did it one time. It's horrible, it's horrible. Don't ever do it. Um, it's not relaxing at all. Uh, and so don't believe what they say. So I'm a student of goats just in life, the greatest. Uh, it just makes sense to me. If somebody's really good at something, why not just do what they do? And so when I was younger, I played baseball. Any baseball fans in the house? You're a baseball fan? All right, great, awesome. Well, um, I was kind of born in the 80s, but kind of hit my stride in the 90s. And by far, the most popular baseball player at the time in the 90s was um, Ken Griffey Jr. And uh, if you're familiar with baseball, you know Griffey had a very unique uh, batting stance. And so I remember the first time I went to try out for the Little League baseball team. And I say try out, but they had to let you play because you paid. And so I was getting on the team whether they wanted me to or not. Um, but I wanted to, to, I wanted to be the best hitter I could be. So I, I emulated the best hitter I could find. And I don't know if you remember Griffey, he used to do the whole... Yeah. My coach yelled at me the first time I did it. And I'm like, shut up, I'm Griffey, you know? And so it uh, didn't help, not one bit, uh, but I wanted to be the best. And then when they switched me over to pitching, I wanted to be like my, my favorite pitcher. I grew up a Yankees fan. And uh, in the 90s, we won a ton, a ton of championships. And uh, my favorite pitcher was the Cuban sensation, uh, Enrique Hernandez, also known as El Duque. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen El Duque pitch, but El Duque used to do this really, really high leg kick. Like, I don't know if I could do it in these pants, but I'll give it a go. Um, and uh, he just do this thing. He would just wind up and then he'd go real high, you know? And uh, it's all there. All right. And, uh, and, uh, but I got to put this down now. <laughs> and he used to pitch like that. He used to release kind of sidearm. And I used to, I used to do that. And uh, even in ministry, I remember the first time I became a youth pastor. Most people become youth pastors, you know, with a group of 20, 10, kind of work your way up. The first time I ever became a youth pastor, the youth group that I was leading was 400 kids. The first time in three months, it went down to 150 kids in three months. That's not even a joke. That's for real. And uh, I was like, I need the youth ministry goat. And um, there was this guy at the time, his name was Scotty Gibbons, and he was leading one of the largest youth ministries in Springfield, Missouri. And uh, his youth ministry was called A uh, Real Life. And uh, his name was Scotty. So, you know, he's like, you know, G-O-A-T, you know, O-G. And so like, I didn't know, I didn't have his number is all I'm trying to say. And I didn't have his email, but I figured the website 
is real life. And his name is Scotty. So I just got on AOL and I typed in Scotty at reallife.com. And I wrote a whole paragraph, not even knowing if he would get it. He got the email. It was his email. I guessed correctly. And, uh, and when, when, he, when, he, when he read it, he wrote back and he said, absolutely, come down. Um, if you can buy the plane ticket here, we'll find a place for you to stay. We'll teach you everything that we know. And I went down there for two days and I studied everything that I could learn about youth ministry. I'm just a student of Gota. I love studying from the best. And this application works in athletics. This application works in business, relationships. And I believe it works in life as well. And I might be a bit biased in this, me being a pastor, but I think that in the context of life. The, the, the goatiest of goats <laughs> was Jesus. I just think the goat in life was Jesus. Now I said, I'm a pastor, right? I kind of, I guess I kind of have to say it, but to be honest, even if I wasn't a believer, even if I wasn't a Christian, I, I, I think I would still, I might still subscribe to that philosophy just in Jesus's sense of security alone. You know, the way he walked the earth, like think about it. Jesus had followers and haters before Twitter. And he had a lot of followers and he had a lot of haters, but he never once in all of the scripture does he ever defend himself. He just walks through life like he knows who he is. Like it don't matter what you say. I know who I am. I know who God says that I am. I'm just walking. I'm just doing my thing. I don't really care what you think about me. I know who I am. I'm a son of God. That sense of security. Um, even if you're not a Christian, you can appreciate the fact that Jesus was the goat when it comes to compassion. Come on. He was compassionate before being compassionate was cool. Right now, being socially involved in social justice things, like that's on TV, like there's ads for that, there's nonprofits for that. Like it's cool to care, but before it was cool to care, he cared. You have to understand the world at that time. If you were not financially well, or if you were an outcast, you were considered cursed by God. So to hang out with somebody who was not in the mainstream of society was to fraternize with someone who did not have a relationship with God. And here was Jesus before it was cool, loving on the uncool people. Before it was cool to welcome in the immigrant and love the immigrant, he, he shared a cup of water with the Samaritan woman. Before it was cool to, to hang out with the homeless, he was with the homeless. He visited the people in prison. He hung out with the prostitute and the tax collector, his compassion. And if none of that hits home, you got to at least have an admiration and appreciation for the fact that who has been more influential than Jesus? We literally define time by his name. B.C. before Christ, A.D. in the year of our Lord, time is defined by him. There have not been more books written on any character in life than, the, than my Jesus, than my Christ. He's the one who people know more. There haven't, Hollywood hasn't made more movies about anyone other than Jesus, maybe Spider-Man. But aside from that, Jesus, number one. There's like 13 Spider-Man movies, y'all. He might have Jesus on that. I'm not sure. Um, <laughs> he's, he's, he's all those things. And that's just if you're not a believer. If you are a believer, let's not even talk about Jesus, the miracle worker. Jesus, the guy who opened the eyes of the blind, the ears of the deaf, made the lame walk, made the dead rise, resurrected himself. If you want to live a fraction of the life Jesus lived, do what the goat did. And I think if you were to ask the goat, Jesus, Jesus, what was the secret? to your presence. Jesus, what was the secret to your passion? Jesus, what was the secret to your power? I think Jesus would answer, the secret is prayer. Amen. It's prayer. It's prayer. I, I tried to do a Bible study on all the times in the Bible where Jesus prayed. I didn't have enough paper and enough time. 
to share with you all the, so what I did was I took all the times Jesus prayed and I made categories of it because I thought that would help me kind of get my point across faster. But even the categories are a ton of, but I'm gonna do that anyway. I'm gonna give you the categories. These are the times in Jesus's life when he prayed in the Bible. Jesus would pray alone. He would also pray in public. Jesus would pray before meals. Jesus would pray before important decisions. Jesus would pray before healing. He would pray after healing. He would pray to do the Father's will. He would pray at his baptism. He prayed in the middle of sermons, in the middle of healing, and in the middle of the storm. Jesus prayed before the cross in Gethsemane. Jesus prayed on the cross. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. His very last prayer before he died, like his last breath of oxygen was, Father, I commit my hands into your spirit. <sighs> he went out praying. And here's the one that gets me the most. After the cross, he's still praying. The Bible says that Jesus right now is making intercession for you and for me. People ask me, what's Jesus doing in heaven right now? Not chilling. I'll tell you that right now. I'll tell you what Jesus is doing. Are you ready? He's praying. Right now, Jesus is praying for you and praying for me. He's His life was marked by prayer. And so I want to teach you how to pray like Jesus would pray. If you're a Christian, this is really going to help you. If you're not a Christian, I still think this is going to help you. Why? Because I don't care who you are, atheist, Buddhist, uh, Confucianist, uh, Jewish, uh, whatever you are. Listen, nobody, listen to me, mark my words, call me on this. But nobody gets through life without their knees hitting the ground at least once. And some of us, some of us more than once, if, you, if you're that person, say amen. And so when you get there, when you get to that position and posture in your life, pray that this sermon would be a guiding light for you. I want to teach you how to pray through the Lord's prayer. The Lord actually had a prayer. He actually taught us how to pray through his prayer. Uh, and for those who are familiar, kind of grew up in church, you got the old school King James, right? Uh, uh, our father in heaven, hallowed. That's a great word. Isn't it a great word? Hallowed. If you meet me in the hallway, I'm going to try and fit it into a sentence. I just like it. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then it goes on and on. Well, today I want to give you the Lord's Prayer, but I want to give it to you today in the message version. For those who aren't familiar, it's just a different translation of the Bible. Same principles, same precepts, just different words. And the reason why I want to do that is honestly for those who grew up in church and kind of just shut off when they hear it because they've heard it so many times. And so we're going to go through this. I'm telling you, this is going to help you. How many people have heard the saying, if you give a man a fish, he'll eat for a day. But if you teach a man a fish, he'll eat for the rest of his life. Here's what I, here's what I in the preaching version of that. If I preach a man a principle... I think I'll help him in the problem for today. And I do that 51 out of the 52 weeks of the year. But I'm going to take one week, just one week, to not preach a man a principle, but teach a man to pray. Because if you preach a man a principle, he'll get through a problem today. But if you teach a man to pray, he'll get through life. She'll get through life. You'll get through life. And so starting, we're going to start, go ahead in Matthew chapter 6, verse 7 through 9. The world is full of so-called prayer warriors who are prayer ignorant, Jesus says. You can just follow me on the screen. They're full of formulas and programs and advice, peddling techniques for getting what you want from God. Don't fall for that nonsense. This is your father you are dealing with, and he knows better than you what you need. And with a God like this, so good, loving you, you can pray very simply. That's my title today, Simply Pray. Tell somebody, simply pray. Prayer is so simple, guys. And I think the reason why we overcomplicate prayer is because we underestimate our relationship. Honestly, we don't really understand 
the type of relationship we have with God. And that's why we make prayer more complicated than it is. And Jesus is saying, it's just simple. When I get through this whole prayer, this prayer takes 30 seconds, okay? And it's just, it's just simple. Now, let me tell you something. This isn't a formula what I'm about to go in through too, okay? Because Jesus hates formulas. So this isn't like a magic password. Like if you do say what Jesus is and ask for something, like you're not gonna get married right there. Like this is not gonna work like that. Okay, Jesus is not, because prayer takes different shapes and forms. Some of you guys spent 30 minutes crying this week over something to God, yelling at him, mad at him. And you didn't even know that was prayer. That was prayer right there. We have a whole book called Lamentations, all about it. Just yelling and crying at God. He don't mind if you're crying. He don't mind if you're, he just wants you to be upset at him. Honestly, just include me in it. Yell at me if you have to. Cry at me if you have to. Shout at me if you have to. Punch me if you, it won't work, but try. <laughs> you know, it won't work, but you can try. Do what you gotta do. Do what you got to do. And so, so this isn't a formula, but this is, the, this is the way Jesus taught us how to do it, okay? So, so, so do it this way. All right. So simply pray. You got to understand the relationship. You know what, Liz, Liz, I don't fall for this anymore, but I used to fall for this early on in marriage. Now we're, you know, going on 11 years in. No need to clap. It's not like it's a big deal or anything. But um, no, people do it all the time. No, stop. Please stop. No, keep going. Uh, no. Um, so she used to do this early on. Early on in our marriage, we'd be sitting on the couch watching TV. And I get it now, but back then I didn't understand. She'd be like, uh, are, you, are you hungry? And I'd be like, yeah, you know, actually, I am hungry. I can go for something. And then she'd be like, oh, cool, cool, cool. Yeah, me too, me too. Hungry, hungry. What do you want to eat? You know, because we got, we got cereal. I'm like, cereal sounds really good right now. She's like, well, you know what? Babe, I actually went shopping. And we got cereal and milk in the pantry. If you want it, it's there. I just want you to know I did that for you. So you can go get that if you want. And I was like, oh, babe, that's awesome. Yeah, I'll go get me. Cool. Can you get me some too while you're up? <laughs> Come on. And every husband and boyfriend said, amen. <laughs> and in the beginning, I was like, oh, yeah, it'd be my pleasure. But after like five or six years, I'm like, why are we always hungry at the same time? <laughs> why are we? And, and she, she and, I, and now I get mad at her. Now when she does it now, I'm like, just tell me what you want, woman. Why you got to play all these games and do all this? Where's, if you want it, just tell me. Right? And she's doing it because she knows that I'm selfish and I probably won't get it for her unless, unless it's something for me. And so, but let me tell you something about your father God. He's not selfish. So you don't have to overthink your prayer. You don't got to manipulate your words and put it in a kind of sneaky way to be like, oh, Jesus, well, I know that you love me and then you're lying across me. And, it's, and if you really love me, then maybe you will help me in this thing. And Jesus is like, well, you just get to the point. Why are you overcomplicating this? I'm your dad. Just be real with me, man. Just tell me what's on your heart. I'm ready for you. I'm here. Just talk to me. You got to understand that. And so it's so simple. It's so simple that I'm going to teach it to you in 17 minutes. And it's going to, it's, I got four points and they spell the word pray. It can't get any easier than that. It spells pray. Okay. Matthew 6, 9, our father in heaven, reveal who you are. Notice that it's reveal who you are, not who you are. The first person in prayer is God because the P stands for praise. We begin prayer in praise. Psalms 104 says, enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. praise. Now I know that sounds simple, but how many people know sometimes the simple things are not easy? Because when I wake up in the morning, can I be real? God is not the first person on my mind. When I wake up in the morning, I am tired. 
When I wake up in the morning, my problems are the first thing on my mind. My to-do, I am angry in the morning. And that is after a cup of coffee, okay? Before a cup of coffee, there are demons in my bedroom. I'm just telling you, before I get my coffee, there's an exorcism taking place. To, nobody talk to me right now. It's just human nature. It's human nature to think, about, to think about me, myself, and I. And here's what God's saying. I know that you got a lot on your mind, but here's what I need you to do. I need you to trade your me, myself, and I for Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I need you to make a transition, and I need me to be first in your life. And listen, it's not because he needs your praise. I need to tell this to, to early Christians when they begin to kind of experience God. You know, because they're like, I heard one early Christian, young Christian tell me this recently. He said, I think God's selfish. I said, why, you, why would you think that? Like, did you not hear that? He died for you? Like, and they're like, well, you know, every time I hear people talk about God, they're like, worship me. <laughs> Praise me. He's like, if you ask me, God's just all about himself. <laughs> and I get it. Like, I get where he was coming from. But can I just tell you somebody who thinks that? Listen, God doesn't need your praise. Your praise doesn't make him any more or less God. He's not in heaven waiting for you to, you know, sing hallelujah. He's not up there like tired and like your praise is his coffee. And he's like, ooh, okay, there we go. Now I can get to work. Not for him. He doesn't need your praise. Are you ready for this? You need your praise. You need your praise. You know why? Because what you magnify gets magnified. So when you wake up in the morning, and I know you got problems, and we're going to bring those things to God eventually, but if the first thing you bring to God is your problem, guess what you're doing with your problem? You're magnifying it. And because you're magnifying it, now your problem begins to look bigger than God. But if you just take two minutes and magnify the name of the Lord Jesus and talk about who God is and how big God is first, guess what magnifying God does? It makes your problems look small. It makes your problems look small. Listen, I got these glasses on right now. And the reason why I got these glasses on right now is because I am nearsighted, okay? I can see everybody good and fine right now. Right now, I think I see a Journey Kids shirt. And that's all I see. Everybody else, just colorful shadows. That's everybody else. Don't know how much time I have left. It's just, it doesn't help me. I needed these glasses to be able to see things that are far away. I believe that on earth, humans suffer from a spiritual nearsightedness. I think the only things we can see in life are the things that are close to us. So we got a deadline at work, it's the only thing that we see. We got a problem in our relationship, it's the only thing that we see. We wake up with anger or regret or bitterness, it's the only thing that we feel. But here's what you got to do. You got to put on your glasses. You got to praise. You got to magnify. Because when you praise and magnify, you can see that the things that seem far aren't really as far as I thought. God, you felt far away. But as I begin to magnify you, oh, come on, somebody. I begin to see that you are not as far as I thought you were. My hope felt far away. But as I begin to magnify him, I'm realizing my hope is closer than I thought. I thought I'd be struggling with this sin forever. But as I begin to magnify, I'm realizing my deliverance, my freedom, my breakthrough is closer than I could see or thought before. And somebody's saying, well, that's hard, JJ. God feels so far away. God feels so small. Of course he does. You got life around you. That's why you got to magnify magnify the name of the Lord. I magnified the name of the Lord and he heard my prayer, the Bible says. I magnified him. You got to lift him up. There's a, there's a person, you might not recognize their name, uh, Helen H. Lamel. Probably not a name that you know, but she's written over 500 hymns that we still sing in churches today. She was born in 1864, beautiful and talented, the daughter of a minister who moved to Europe to study music. While there, she fell in love with a man and they got married. 
One day, Helen woke up in the morning and completely lost her sight. Just went blind. Went blind. A month later, her husband left her. So now she's got nobody. Blind in a country that's not hers. She called her parents up. She got on a boat. She moved back to the United States, Seattle, Washington, and lived on government assistance in a one-bedroom apartment until she died at the age of 98. Sounds like a sad life. Yet, her hymns were some of the most beautiful hymns you've ever written, you've ever heard. In fact, I'll ask Steffi and Jason if they could play um, probably her most famous hymn, and you might recognize this or not. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. A woman who couldn't see said, turn your eyes because she didn't let what she couldn't see keep her from praising what she could see. You might not be able to see the brightness, the light. It might feel like darkness, but in the darkness, there's still one to be magnified. In the darkness, there's still one to praise. In the darkness, there's still one to lift up. Turn your eyes. And all of a sudden, the problems don't seem so big anymore when you realize just how big God is. Matthew 6, 10 to 11, set the world right. Do what's best as above, so below. Keep us alive with three square meals. Here's the second part of your prayer request. So you got praise and now you got requests. And please understand the flow, the progress of this prayer. Relationship first, request second. My son was knocking on the door the other day. He's like, dad, 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 dad. I was working on this sermon. I was like, devil, 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 get beat behind me. And I was so mad and I opened the door. How many people know there's multiple ways to open the door? You know what I'm talking about? I was like, yes, eyes bulging, you know. He was just like, no, man, I just want to see what you're doing. He's like, you want to hang? Want to play video games? Want to do something? Check it out. I thought he was coming to ask for something, and he was just coming to hang with me. How many people know 
that after I heard that, I was like, what do you want? I will give it to you right now. Not your brother, you. You can have it all right now. Ask and it shall be given unto thee right now. I was so moved that all he wanted was me that I wanted to find out what he wanted. That's how it is with God. When we begin to make him the pursuit of our prayer, he begins to respond to that pursuit because, okay, wow, okay, now what can I do for you? Now that I know that you don't need other things to be in a relationship, now that I know I'm not just Santa Claus, but the love of your life, what do you need? Because I'm here for it. I'm here for it. I'm here for it. Now notice also the progress of what we're requesting. It said, first pray for the world, then pray for you. There's a reason for that. Because when you pray for the world, your problems don't look so big anymore. When you pray for the mom who is standing by the bedside of a son who's on life support because he got caught up in a shooting in Dayton, Ohio, you start to realize, you know what? That bill doesn't look so big today. When you pray for that immigrant child whose parents have been stripped from him or her, you go, you know what? Um, my kid failing math, at least I got my kid. You start to realize your problems aren't so bad anymore. Not only that, God loves other people. God loves other people. So when we pray his will, when we pray his kingdom, he begins to invite us into that kingdom. And then finally, it says your three square meals. That means that God is the God who meets our needs because three square meals are what you need to survive. How many people are grateful that we serve a God who meets our needs? Raise your hand. Say amen if you're grateful for that. All right, now I'm gonna check you on that. I'm gonna check you on that because, because by acknowledging that you serve the God who meets your needs, you're also acknowledging that you're serving the God who doesn't exist to meet your wants. Because there's a difference. I'm gonna tell you, now that I'm a parent, I'm actually glad that I'm not rich. I'm glad. People are like, that's strange. Why would you say that? Because not being rich gives me an excuse to not buy my kids toys at the store. Because we go through the store and they're like, dad, I want that toy. And I'm like, oh, bro, man, I would. But daddy doesn't have it in the budget right now. But bro, you know, if I could, <laughs> you know, if I could, I would, man. I would totally do it for you. And then he's like, oh, well, thanks, dad. That's awesome, man. You're just, you're the best dad. I'm like, you're right. I am. It's true. Yeah. Yeah, no, no doubt, man. Absolutely. And he just goes through, and there's no problem. But here's my problem. Here's my problem. What if you're rich and your kids know it? <laughs> like, you can't use that. Like, if he knows you're balling and he's like, mom, dad, I want that toy. You can't be like, I don't got it. Yet, you can't give him everything that he wants or she wants. Why? Because it will spoil them it will spoil them and so you're being a good dad not because you're not giving what they need not because you're not giving what they want because you're giving them what they need yet from the kids perspective and this is our perspective in prayer we're thinking but God you got it so if you got it why ain't you giving it and we come to either two conclusions and both are both are false either one we think that God don't got it which means he can't do it he's not as powerful as church says he is or even worse we think he does have it but he's just being mean and doesn't want to give it you know, we hear that song, you're a good, good father. Like, you're a bad, bad father. You're super mean, super mean, super mean, and I'm mad at you. <laughs> I want that car. You're so far. <laughs> that was on the spot, y'all. That's I got bars. Anyway, um, anyway, uh, <laughs> just trust a good father doesn't give you what you want. He'll give you what you need. He'll give you what you need. Let's get to the, to the A here as time is expiring. Matthew chapter 6, verse 12 through 13. Keep us forgiven with you and forgiving others. Keep us safe from ourselves and the devil. You don't know this, or maybe you do and refuse to believe it. You have a spiritual enemy. That's why the A stands for attack. 
And this is where we transition in prayer. This is where we go from wishing to warring. Now, depending on what background, if you're like, if you grew up Pentecostal, you're like, amen. But if you didn't, you're like, I'm out. I'm not about that war. I've seen it on TV. Ah! No, it's not that. I just want you to know it's not that. And you can all take a breath. Okay, we've got, we're not gonna beat you up at the altar today or anything like that. Or, you know what warfare is? Can I, can I let you know what warfare is? Because I think when I start to talk about it, you'll be like, I think I'm in warfare right now. Have you ever woken up in the morning and it's just, and it's not that you're tired, but you just feel like heavy. And it's, it's not even like for no reason, like you slept good, but you wake up and you just feel heavy. And then that same day, you get a call from the principal because your kid's got no fight at school. And then you get in the car to go meet with the principal and it breaks down. And then you go to bed that night and for no reason whatsoever, you're terrified. There's a fear that comes over you. Hey, you know what that is? That's warfare. And you know how you know what's warfare? Because you're doing everything right and it's coming. And here's what I said and I put it on the screen, maybe it'll help you. When you don't know what you're fighting, you need to change how you're fighting it. Ephesians chapter six, verse 12 says, we don't battle against flesh and blood but against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. The powers, the authorities of this dark world. There's an enemy out to get you. Listen, this happens to Liz and I ever since we started the church. Liz and I get under attack every August or January, our car breaks down. This August, both cars broke down at the same time. Not even planned. When my son, when we found out that our youngest son was born, when we found out that our youngest son might not make it, we got that diagnosis in January. He passed away July 31st, right before August. Do you know why we get all these attacks around, around January and August? Because at the church, we see more people give their lives to Christ in February and September. We have, like, we track it. Like, when you raise your hand and you send us that text, like, we got your info. <laughs> Here's what our metrics say. More people give their lives to Jesus in September and February at Journey Church than any time throughout the year. And my wife and our family goes under such heavy attack in January and August every year. And for the beginning, because the devil's like, if I can get them, and if I can strike them, and if I can destroy them, then the word won't be preached, the message won't go out, the families won't get restored. And I, that, so I'm gonna strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter is what they, they told Jesus. And so, and so here's what we did. You, we realized we didn't know what we were fighting. We were like, what's going on? I'm like, are you praying? You better be praying. I'm telling my wife, are you, are you not praying right now? You got aching sin somewhere? You got an idol somewhere buried underneath your pillow? Tell me. She's like, babe, I'm praying. I'm like, I'm praying too. She's like, well, then we need to change how we're praying. Do you know what we did to combat the fact that every January and August we get attacked? You're in it right now. You thought 21 days of prayer was for you? <laughs> hey, we said, we said, babe, what if we got the whole church? <laughs> What if we got the whole church to pray for 21 days every January and every August and we just sent the devil a memo that we won't go let him take our family. We won't go let him take our city. We won't let him take our schools. We won't go let him take our finances. What if we got on our knees and began to cry out to the name of Jesus and say, this belongs to you. Winter Park belongs to you. This high school belongs to you. My children belong to you. And no devil, no demon, no spirit is going to take what belongs to God. You bought it on the cross and on the cross is where my victory is. I plead the blood of Jesus over my children right now. The blood of Jesus over my health. The blood of 
Jesus over my car, the blood of Jesus over my marriage and my relationships. Devil, you can't have it. Every day you need to attack. Stop playing defense. Devil, you better get on the run. You're going to come after me, it's going to cost you. I'm taking territory. I'm taking territory. Amen? The last one. Bible verse. Excited. Matthew 6, 13. You're in charge. You can do anything you want. You're a blazing beauty. Yes, yes, yes. Eugene Peterson, the person who translated this, is doing his best to modernize a very common word that you and I know. Yes, yes, yes. And it's the word amen. In the King James, it goes, and to him is the power and the glory forever. Amen. Say amen. Do you know that if you were to hear somebody pray in Chinese, if you were to hear somebody pray in Swahili, if you were to hear somebody pray in Russian or French or German, if you were to hear somebody pray in another language, you wouldn't understand a word of it. But there's one word that you'd recognize. Amen. And every language is the same. It's pronounced differently, but it's the same. There was a linguistic professor who recently said that he believes that the most common word in all of language, all of language, is amen. And we say it at the end of every prayer. And let's be honest, we don't even know what the heck we're saying or why we're even saying it. Just amen. That's what my dad said. That's what his dad said. That's what the pastor said. That's what the TV show said. Amen. It's what you do at the end of the prayer. Pretty sure it's like a stamp. Put it on the... Amen. And you send it off. And it's not. I'm going to tell you why we say amen. Amen means so be it. And it has a double meaning. On the front end, it means this. Everything that I just prayed for, every, every breakthrough that I declared, every healing that I declare, my spouse, my healing restoration, amen. That's, that's the first aspect of it. But here's the other side of that coin. That's what I want, God. And what I want, so be it. But what I really want is what you want for me. And if you want something different than what I want, which is why the why stands for yield. 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 I was, I, was, I was doing some research on, on yield and this thing called right away. Do you guys know what the right away is when you're driving? The right away? Amen. Yeah, you guys know. It's what, what you tell somebody when you get into a car accident, they hit you, even though you don't know what it means. You're like, oh, officer, I had the right away. <laughs> he didn't have the right away. I had the right away. I was merging and according to state laws of Florida, right away was mine. He didn't have the right away. She didn't have the right away. I had the right away. Give them the ticket. So I did some research. I looked up, I said, who has the right of way in Florida? And this comes from the driver's handbook, like the book they teach drivers with. Show them. Who has the right of way? This is from the driver's handbook. The answer is no one. The law only says who must yield, that is give up the right of way. If you ever said the sentence, I have the right of way, you were wrong. Because <laughs> the right of way is not something you can have, it's only something you can surrender. It's only something you can give up, which makes this the most confusing sign ever. Because how do I know? I wish it was a stop sign. If it was a stop sign, I'd stop. If it was a green light, I'd go. I'd go. But how do I know if I'm supposed to go or stop? You won't from a distance. You don't know what to do until you get there. That's how it is in prayer, guys. You're praying and you're like, God, how do I know if what I'm praying, if you're gonna give me what I want or if you want me to give up what I want for what you want, you won't know until 
you get there. It's not about going or stopping. It's about approaching prayer prepared to give up. About approaching prayer prepared to give up. And some of y'all are like, well, if that's the case, that just sucks. Then I don't want to pray anymore. And I don't want to give God any worship because I've been here. And this is you guys right now. You've been praying and things have just been passing you by. You've been praying and, you know, somebody else's ministry is growing and you're just here praying. You've been praying and this person's getting married and they're ugly and they got married and you're like, that's messed up. I'm good looking and I ain't getting married. That's messed up. And you're just here at your yield sign while everybody passes you by and you're over here waiting for a baby and you've been trying for two years and here's this couple that they weren't even trying. It was an accident. You didn't even try it. They got a baby, they weren't even trying. You've been on medicine, you've been going to doctors, haven't been able to get pregnant for years. It's not fair, God. When's my turn? When's my turn? You're not fair. I hate you. I hate this. I hate waiting. I get why you would be mad until you realize that this sign is not here to torture you. This sign is here to save you. The sign is here to protect you. The sign is here because you know what? You've gone out before when it wasn't the right time and it almost killed you. You you went out before and you got, boom! That relationship, you knew it wasn't the right time, but you couldn't wait on God anymore, so you went out, bam. That job, you knew it wasn't the one God happy, but you couldn't wait anymore, bam. You know that you needed to wait until marriage, but you couldn't wait anymore, you got out, bam. Guys, I'm not here to torture you. I'm here to save you. I wrote it this way. This is what you need to pray when you come into prayer. God, I will give up my right of way until you make a way. I will give up my right of way until you make a way. Would you stand to your feet right now? Because here's what I know. Listen to me. I've stood at yield signs and I have waited. But can I tell you, I did not wait forever. You might wait there and it might seem like other people are passing you by and other opportunities might pass you by. But hear me right now. Your opportunity is coming. Your moment is coming. Your hope is coming. You might wait. Just wait. It's coming. That job is coming. That relationship is coming. That next step is coming. That process in the journey, it's coming. Just wait your turn. Don't force it. God's going to make a way. But until he makes a way, yield. Jesus said it best, and I'll end here. Luke 22, 42. Father, if you will please, don't make me suffer by drinking from this cup, but do what you want and not what I want. Even Jesus yielded. Are you ready to yield today? Because you've been asking God for something, and this is what God is asking you right here, right now. Give it to me. Give it to me. But God, I want the answer. Give it to me. Yield. Yield. Father, we love you and we thank you. There's nobody like you. We're here today. And the funny thing is, I'm preaching to hundreds of different people, but everybody knows exactly what's on their mind right now, exactly what's on their heart. God, I pray that we would have the courage and the faith to trust you and yield to you. Because we're not just yielding to your plan, we're yielding to your love. You love us. You're asking us to stop, not because you're trying to torture us. You're asking us to stop because you love us. And so today, with, with within worship and in the spirit of surrender, we yield not just to your plans, but to your love. Not just to your plans, but to your presence. Not just to your plans, but your perfect plans. We yield to you, Jesus. You take it all. You take it all. It's yours. It's not mine. It's yours. It's not mine. I laid down my life today. I laid down my thoughts. I laid down my prayer. You have your way. I want what I want. But more than what I want. I want what you want. I want what you 
give you an opportunity to do it His way. Or maybe you've turned from God and you've been far, but you're coming back home today. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, I wanna give you that opportunity to say yes to Jesus. So I'm gonna to count to three, and when I say three, if that's you, I want you to raise your hand up. Nobody's looking around, this is a private moment for you and God. One, two, three. If that's you, raise your hand up. I see your hand, I see your hand, I see your hand. Let's give it up for the 10 people that just raised their hand. Thank you, Jesus. All right, let's pray this together. If everybody could pray this with me. Worship team, pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you that your way is better. Today we yield to you. We thank you, Jesus, for what you've done for us. We accept you. In Jesus' mighty name that we pray. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this message, and we would love to hear your story and how this ministry is changing your life. Please email us at amen at journeyorl.com. And if you would like to support financially, you can give online at journeyorl.com give. If you're in the area, join us on Sunday for the full experience. Have a blessed week.